This is a podcast from ABC Overnights. Here's Michael Pavlich. Well, we're going to talk about monster movies now with Jared Garn. He's a film critic and works at the Monster Picture and Monster Film Festival. Morning, Jared. Morning, Pav. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, mate. How about you? Excellent. Yeah, I can't complain. Pretty good. Just in the thick of programming Monster Fest at the moment. Ooh. So been okay. watching a lot of movies, just marathoning them back to back. So the good, the bad, and the ugly and the worst <laughs> yeah there's there's, there's the some shockers <laughs> the worst of the worst I've absolutely to, look i think i've uncovered a whole new genre here for you jared you could get a whole festival out of moon movies having a look at it today you could and you could cater to every kind of mm. film fan you know whether like horror films sci-fi even love stories i'm surprised no one's done it yet jared well i mean there's there's money in that idea there's money in the <laughs> banana stand you know what I find amazing, after having a look at a few today, and I got sucked into some of them, were all the ones that were made before 1969. Oh, uh, yeah, because yeah. Because it was all based on imagination and what was actually up there. So we had everything from the moon being made of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To all sorts of strange creatures living there. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, that was the era of pure imagination because that's all we could do is sort of, you know, predict what, what lived above. And some of the, the early spaceships, as portrayed in the, movie, in the movies in the 50s and 60s, very sparse. Oh, absolutely. I would mean, even into the 70s post that, I remember seeing John Carpenter's first film, Dark Star, and the spacecrafts in that are just models and a giant uh, beach ball as an alien. It's incredible. <laughs> That's the one I saw today. They were sitting down and they, were, they were, had a roast dinner. <laughs> they had uh, a tea set on the shelf in the back of the spaceship. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Stayed intact through the whole flight. Magnificent. Oh, the anti-gravity must have been really good in that, in that well, spacecraft. I, I got an idea of the oxygen on the moon too. Might have been. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, let's face it, the anti-gravity thing, that didn't bother them in those days, did it? <laughs> no, no. You can't let that interfere with the story. But it isn't just the space travel mood movies we're talking about, because they will feature, no doubt, in, in the discussion. But it's also a, a bit of a link there to monster movies as well, because you only need a full moon for, you know, your local neighbourhood werewolf to step That's out. That's it, the Lycanthorpe mm. will get a rise. I mean, you know, there's there's been so many classics. American Werewolf in London, Beware the Moon. Vampires. One of the famous quotes. Yeah, vampires too. They don't uh, mind a bit of full moon action too. No, no, they definitely get a rise at night, and I think a full moon probably gives them yeah. yeah. <laughs> and being a supermoon tonight. Ooh. Yeah, timely, <laughs> timely. Well, it's funny that yeah, you mentioned bringing up uh, mood movies because there's like two movies coming out this year that have moon in the title, hmm. and they're arguably two of the biggest films. We've got the new Martin Scorsese film that he's produced for Netflix, but it's going to go theatrical. Wow! I think it's Killers of the Flower Moon, and that looks all fantastic. Right. Now we'll have to find out what the other one is off you after the news. And we're talking all about moon movies this morning. With the supermoon hanging in the sky, we thought we'd look at some of the great bits of celluloid that have been made about our lunar friend up there. Uh, it might be space movies, space travel movies. It might be monster movies uh, in the form of werewolves or vampires. Give us a ring, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Might be an alien movie or just a movie that mentions the moon in its title. Peter in Sydney also says his favourite movie... Um, and he says, don't give the plot away, uh, is a movie called Moon by Duncan Jones, 
which I believe is David Bowie's son, with, with Jared Garn this morning, I should say. He's our expert that we're talking about movies with. He's a film critic and he works at Monster Pictures and the Monster Film Festival. Jared, that's a pretty interesting movie. Um, I haven't seen it before, but Mick showed me the, the trailer for Moon just before we came on air and it looks like one I might want to have a look at. It's definitely, definitely worth a watch, and it's one of those type of films that's pretty contained, all set within that spacecraft and with one sort of central character. You know, he's he's on a lone sort of mission. Sam Rockwell, too, really underrated actor and incredible in this role. Uh, and I don't want to give away too much, but I will mention that he's he's at the end of his mission and he's due to return home but he takes ill and from that point forth the sort of the story unravels and you realize there's a little more at play but really clever and especially considering it's pretty much a one-man band for the entire movie it's yeah it's great and it's up there as a modern sci-fi classic all right uh, and another one i've got here which i had a look at today uh, Catwoman of the moon cat women <coughs> of the moon I've never seen that one. I know Amazon Women on the Moon, yes. the, uh, the parody one, the John John Landis and a bunch of others, Joe Dante and a few other people. But um, I've never seen yet yeah, Cat Cat Women of the Moon on the Moon of of the Moon. Uh, the Cat Women of the Moon. I've got of here. the Moon. Yeah, yep. and 1950. It was made. I've got 1953. It was a Valhalla classic. Apparently, uh, race ah. a race of female cat. Nothing to do with Catwoman, the superhero. Of this, course not. <laughs> this was a race of female Catwoman who, for some reason, danced every night in leotards who <laughs> wanted to take over the earth by telepathy. Oh, were, terrific. Mm, they were fooled by their inability uh, to telepathise with men. It's like a, it's like a science fiction version of like the the famous folklore of sirens, you know, luring yeah. the fishermen to the shore. There's a bit of that in there them. as well. Don't you worry. Why? They're, they're flying into the moon. All the radio operators are going. I've got to try and track that one down. <laughs> Thank you, John Coburg. Yeah, there's a whole lot of these, and in fact, a lot of these are actually on the internet. They're sort of so old. Ah, of course, they'd be public domain now. Mm. So you could probably see them on YouTube or find one of these sites that has, you know, streaming of public domain property. And, I mean, some of the movies are so bad, you'd probably just have to pay, about pay people to watch them, I think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're probably not being restored and preserved no. on any other format at this point in time. But I had a good few hours this afternoon looking through a few of these. So and I'll tell you about some of the ones I discovered in just a little while. But let's head to the phones, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. if you would like to join the, the discussion. Um, uh, never watched The Exorcist. Yes, very shocking for young people, I agree with that. It's not really a moon movie, but... Uh, g'day, Donald. Uh, hello, uh, Pav and uh, Jared. Uh, Donald. You, you mentioned my... Uh my contribution in your intro there was American Werewolf in London, uh, the John Landis classic from 1981. Mm. An all-time um, classic. And, and it came out, it was such a weird year, 1981. It was like year of the lycanthrope because you had American Werewolf in London, you had the howling, and you had this sort of long-forgotten Wolfen that came out with Albert Finney as well. So it was quite the, quite the year for werewolf movies. But American Werewolf in London surely is the best. Um, definitely, um, and uh, the the moon references the the warning when the boys go to the the ever inviting slaughtered lamb pub. The, the locals <laughs> yes. say, "Stay on, stay on the road, keep clear yes. of the moors, and beware the moon." Beware the moon. <laughs> uh, and, and 
And the soundtrack also has um, uh, three, ver- three oh, versions yeah. of the, the Blue Moon uh, song um, and also uh, Moon Dance by Van Morrison. And, and Bad Moon Rising. Bad yeah, Moon Creedence. Rising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's true. Moon. Nice work. Incredible. Um, Remember the Alamo. That, <laughs> that, uh, that movie is memorable also for the transition yeah, the, of the David from effects. his human to his um, to his werewolf uh, without CGI. It was and and that year the the following year 1982 at the Academy Awards they actually created an Academy Award that was the first one they did for makeup effects and oh, really... Rick Baker won it and rightly so because it's one of the most incredible on-screen transformations no one had ever seen anything like that prior like you know everything had been done with like sort of time lapse and a lot of optical effects but you know that was this incredible you know prosthetics and animatronics they just did such a and it, and today it looks fantastic you know it it sure beats all the cgi of more contemporary films and and did you um get the cameo's director uh, towards the oh, end there? yeah absolutely when he's in um when he's in uh where is it um the piccadilly in, circus the yeah, Square, yeah and yeah he's just about to be he gets hit by the car doesn't he yeah, f- flown back through the grass. <laughs> yeah. Very, uh, very uh, dramatic. Uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Movie. Classic, absolute classic. And I'm glad that that's, that's a film that seems to continue to find audiences and keeps getting restored. It feels like every 10 years they're doing a new restoration, putting it on some new physical format. So it's been preserved for all of time. But, yeah, it's a, it's a absolute classic. Hmm. I, I, I should say just finally the interaction between David, who's, the werewolf and his dead mate Jack, oh, Jack keeps appearing yes. to him and getting worse each time he appears. Absolutely, he's, he's just like deteriorating as it goes on till he's basically a skeleton. But yeah, the interplay between the two of them is just hilarious um, uh, and morbidly hilarious. But uh, hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it is. You're talking about probably the scariest transition into a vampire that has ever been made on film, and yet it's a werewolf. Sorry, yet it's a comedy. Yeah, that it, it it treads a beautiful line because I know a lot of people that saw it growing up that were quite frightened by it. But I, you know, being a you know horror fan, uh, I just always found it just fascinating effects wise, but hilarious at the same time. And I would be quoting it, you know, a naked American man stole my balloon and all sort of random things, you know, other things that I can't say on air, but. Uh, yeah, it's so infinitely quotable, but very funny. Yeah, as funny as it is frightening. Someone suggests, I think you'll find the moon is actually made of cheese. Thank you, Julie. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Lion That Roared was an early English movie about a rocket. That's true. I think that had looked... Oh, no, it might have been a different one. Mouse in the Moon, Terry Thomas. There's, there was a whole uh, lot of string uh, yes. of, of, of movies made with these really quaint rocket ships and spaceships that they... <laughs> Apparently we get a launch to the moon. Hilarious. One of the ones I saw today, it was like, you know, those sea mines, that uh, World War II sea mine that you'd see popping mm. about in the ocean. It was like they jumped into one of those and took off and landed on the moon. Hey, how's the aerodynamics of those things? Oh, it was very good. Very good <laughs> no, well, clearly they made it to the moon. <laughs> they even managed to take off from the moon and land back on Earth. Incredible. Um, <laughs> was, this movie I'm talking about it was made in 1964. It's called First Men in the Moon. Ah, yes, um, yes. Which was a bit strange because there's actually a woman on board as well. Uh, so there's two men and a woman in the spaceship. Um, but she she was the last-minute inclusion. She accidentally got trapped inside the spaceship. 
Was that what, uh, from memory, is that one that Ray Harryhausen did the stop motion sort of effects for? Possibly. Rings a bell, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was a genius. Yeah, um, yeah so, and they their spaceships are like deep, deep sea diving helmets. You know those? Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> Wow, the weight of those things. <laughs> so, <laughs> they would so, have had to turn the, the anti-gravity up to 11. But they, they um, it was, I think it was based on an H.G. Wells novel, this one. Right. And so right. when they got below the surface of the moon, um, there was insect-like creatures there. It was a bit scary, I remember, when I was a kid. Yeah, understandably. And, I mean, quite topical because now they're, they're saying that, you know, there is alien life forms out there. Maybe they are giant cicadas <laughs> and grasshoppers <laughs> in the moon. Um, the funny thing with this movie, First Man in the Moon, 1964, in fact, there were other versions of it made. It was filmed in Dynamation, by the way, Jared. Oh, wow. Whatever happened to Dynamation? <laughs> Like one of the many things that have, have, have fallen through the cracks mm. over time. But there was a professor on board. One of the two men was a professor, and he was so amazed that they'd found alien life that he decided to stay behind in the, the on the moon when the spaceship slash landmine took off, or sea mine took off. Uh, and then years later they discovered that there used to be a civilization on the moon and been wiped out by something. And what the professor had a cold when they landed oh, on the moon. Oh, of course. So his cold had infected all of these uh, insect-like creatures on the moon, and that was, that was the end of it. So, there you go. It's very similar to, was it War of the Worlds that had yeah. the common cold that that took out the yeah. aliens? Yeah. It was a bit of an H.G. Wells device, obviously. God, what would they think of COVID? <laughs> We've got a super weapon <laughs> if we ever go up there. Uh, Janie says, best vampire movie ever was Love at First Bite, made in the 70s. Uh, oh, that's the one with uh, George Hamilton. Not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, the leather suitcase of a man. He had a, a, a tan. His his skin was like leather. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone suggests Paper Moon with Ryan O'Neill and Tatum oh, O'Neill. And Tatum O'Neill. Absolute classic. Yeah, yeah great nice film. One. I've got here as well uh, Moonlight was very intense. Moonstruck with Cher. Oh, yes, and Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Moonraker as well, John Bond, uh, James Bond. James James Bond's made it to space a few times though, hasn't he? Over time, from memory, not there was, just Moonraker. I think there was another one as well. Well, there was one where he uh, went into a, a fake moon landing situation, wasn't it? Diamonds yes. Are Forever. Yes, it was Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. That's right. That actually that that rings a bell because you know how there's that whole conspiracy theory yeah. that. Uh, Stanley Kubrick directed the moon landing, you know, having yeah. done 2001. There was a movie that came out, I think it would have been about 2015, 2016, called Moonwalkers, and it plays on that whole idea that Stanley Kubrick was hired to direct, but the CIA screwed up and they actually got a guy that just looked like Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> so it basically, you know, the CIA, <laughs> they hired two stoners to go and direct this moon landing. It, it's quite funny, really hilarious, and underrated film, Moonwalkers. <laughs> there is also that mockumentary, or maybe it's a documentary, <laughs> about the fake moon landing. Where they, oh, yes. They got all these uh, high, quite high-profile politicians and stuff to play along with the joke, and they made this documentary, uh, you know, putting forward the conspiracy that no one landed on the moon, and a lot of people took it seriously. It's, yeah, it's often the way when these mockumentaries, when they come out. You know, they, did, they did one in New Zealand called Forgotten Silver. 
that Peter Jackson directed and they aired it and they aired it as if it were a serious documentary and suddenly, you know, everyone's feeling like there's there's gold to be found all across the place and they'd had to issue an announcement. So, no, 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 it was just a work of fiction. But I love it when that stuff happens, It you know, telling like H.G. Wells' radio play, you know, when they did... Uh, Orson Welles did the radio play yeah. for War of the Worlds. Yeah. Apparently it's called Dark Side of the Moon, Mick was saying. Ah, excellent. I'll have to check that one out. On ABC Radio this morning, we've got Jared Garn in the studio. He's a film critic. He works for Monster Pictures and the Monster Film Festival. We're talking all about moon movies. Give us a ring, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Jared, someone suggests, don't forget the Three Stooges go to the moon, a classic, says Mark in Bendigo. Indeed. Uh, I had a look, because I thought Abbott and Costello went to the moon as well, but no, they went to Mars. Ah, of course. They were always in sort of strife, weren't they? Yeah. They managed to meet the Universal Monsters at a point in time too. <laughs> I think, actually, I think the Three Stooges go into orbit uh, in one of their movies. I'm not sure if they actually <laughs> made it to the moon or not. G'day, Ace. Hello, Pav and Jared. Before I get to the movie, to which I'm actually calling up about, Super Mario Nation, which was the Thunderbirds, that was the uh, use of uh, wonderful... Um, artwork and, and, and models that were blown up and oh, done yeah. with the Thunderbirds. Uh, the next thing is the other Bond film was You Only Live Twice, uh, which was when he oh. actually had to turn into a Japanese, and that was when they were taking satellites out of the uh, oh, yep. the crater. The other movie that was the one was Capricorn One, which was the film to which uh, was the, uh, the they had to go and be in the desert. So it was the... Um, yeah, hang on, hang on, wasn't that Mars as well? No, that was Moon. Was it? That was the Moon. Yes, that was Capricorn 1. Okay. But the movie I'm ringing up about is nothing to do with anything to do with Moon except for the name, which is Moon Over Parador, a 1988 film with Richard Dreyfuss and Raul Julia, where Richard Dreyfuss was this actor called, I think, Jack Noah or something like that. Yes, yes. And he ended up doing an impersonation of the president of Parador, and he could do the next, he was like the best impersonator of the president. And then he died in an unfortunate um, having a, a person over in the hotel room. And Raul Julia, the Humphrey Appleby of Parador, uh, then said to the actor, you need to become uh, the president and we need to make sure that this country will fall apart if you don't. And Richard Dreyfus ends up being the president of Parador in this farcical, wonderful, hilarious film, a bit like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in Parador. Uh, that was the hilarious thing. And then he did the the thing again with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine when he went, oh, look at the moon. And the same thing that <laughs> Richard Dreyfus had done with regard to it. And, and it was like, they're more not a parador. And it, it, it's, everything was bad. It was just ridiculous and wonderful it's, and funny. It's but, so underrated and, and largely forgotten. I only revisited it maybe two or three years ago and I had to go back to my VHS of it because I don't have it on DVD, but... Yeah, it was terrific to go back and watch it because it was, you know, Dreyfus when he was really in his comic mode, you know, he was doing so many comedies at the time, like Let It Ride, What About Bob? But that was, yeah, any time you've got an actor playing, you know, or substituting for someone, whether it's like Dave, the Kevin Klein one, or Three Amigos with Chevy Chase and Steve Martin, I'm, you know, I'm all over it. But, yeah, it's a great film and largely forgotten, sadly, but I'm really glad that you brought it up because it's... (laughs) You're the first person that's mentioned it to me in a decade or more. Sounds a bit Woody Allen bananas to me. It is. It's oh, well, it, yeah. It's it's very accessible. Sort of. It, it's strange too because it, it was a big film when it came out. But like big films, you know, unless 
unless something they they largely get forgotten over time. And many good movies been forgotten. Hey, thanks, Ace. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Hey, by the way, Capricorn One. Yeah, they're going to Mars, not the Moon. Anyway, he's gone. (laughs) Capricorn One, technically not a moon movie. Uh, My favourite kids were Robbie the Robot and Jet Jackson. Uh, Robbie the Robot appeared on a lot of movies. Uh, Robbie the Robot even appeared on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, they dust him from the pop room and put him out to do cameos. I've got here, Wallace and Gromit ran out of cheese and wound up having a a grand day out on the moon, of course, because they went to the moon because it was made of cheese and found out there was lots of Wensleydale up there. What a great movie that was too, the grand day out. Terrific. Uh, I recall hearing of a film, The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon, Marigolds, longest title of a Hollywood film. Yeah, it was... I've never seen it, but I've always been fascinated by the the sheer length of the title. <laughs> the, the effect of gamma rays on man in the moon marigolds. Yeah, yeah. It's such a bizarre title. I'm like, how many people did that get through for the film to be released under that title? It's a memorable title. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll have a chat to Trevor. G'day, Trevor. Oh, good morning, Michael and um, Jared. About a decade ago, I saw a film called Iron Sky. Are you familiar with it, Jared? Yes, this is the one that's a bit of like a pastiche. It's like, you know, um, throwback to kind of like World War Two, but with yeah, robots and space. Yes, absolutely. A bit light on explanation for how, how they survived and got there, but yeah, a very strange film. They made a sequel, do you know? Like uh, probably maybe a oh, decade later. Look, I didn't see it. Yeah, I admittedly I am not either. Like the first one was good because it was bold and different, and then it yeah. seemed to lead to a bunch of like films that were trying to copycat uh, it, including the sequel. But they, yeah, they did a ton of these. Uh, they part of it's Nazi exploitation, and you know, throwing them in strange positions. Like even horror movies, they did Dead Snow, where they had Nazi zombies turn up yeah. somewhere, you know, out at a ski resort. Can I mention yeah. another one? It's a beautiful film. Sure. It comes, I think it's called September May or August Moon. About a young woman, she had acrophobia and she's getting out of her house and she succeeded on the same day as um, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Do you familiar with that film? No, I don't know that one. I know Is it. it I, see, I, I know I, the title, but I've never, yeah, I've never yeah, seen I've, it. It's, it's such a beautiful film. Is it a foreign film or...? It's an American film, just sort American of an art film? house film. But yeah, okay. people probably yeah. don't know it. Other people might know, but I always remember that now. She, she, she did... Yeah, you know, she had the, you know, that, that, you know, she couldn't, the fear of getting out of her house, but she eventually conquered her fears on that, that ah, day. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's definitely one that I'm going to have to try and source now, that, now that you've said it. I'm, I'm intrigued. Hmm. Okay. Thanks, Trev. Bye. Bye bye. A couple of words you've brought up through the discussion here that I'd need to bring up with you, Jarrett. Uh, the first one there is Nazi exploitation. Is, is that yes, actually a thing? It is a thing. Yeah, it's it's a massive genre. I mean, it was wildly popular in the seventies because you could get away with more, and there was you know um, questionable movies in terms of like you know um, a bit racy. Uh, and then throughout the eighties, they turned them into more horror movies. Then I think it kind of died off in the nineties and had a resurgence in the two thousands and and now yeah I'd say there's at least a Nazi exploitation film pop up 
every couple of years or so, but it's got to the point where I kind of feel uncomfortable saying the word. That's weird. Uh, I've never heard it yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole genre. Yeah, there's, yeah. And for some reason they, they, they like to turn them into zombies because uh, they did like one back in the late 70s with Peter Cushing called Shockwaves and then more recently, you know, uh, I think they've done two of the Dead Snow films, but yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> I mean, can you exploit Nazis? Or... <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, if you can exploit anybody, I think yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're fair game. It sort of cancels itself out, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The other word that you brought up uh, that I wanted mm. to take up with you is lycanthorpe. Ah, I mean, oh, yeah, lycanthrope. Lycanthrope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, nobody calls werewolves lycanthrope, Jared, but you do. I, I, I just throw it in there because otherwise I keep saying werewolf, so I like to, <laughs> I like to be all fancy and then throw another word in there. <laughs> Who ever knew there was another word for werewolf? There you go. <laughs> That's great. Uh, g'day, Manjit. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Good this morning. is not about a movie, but it's about a book titled The Moon is a Balloon. Uh, this is David Niven's uh, autobiography. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yes. Well, he's a movie and, star, uh, so that'll do. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds fascinating. I like, I like David Niven. The original title of the book was Five Sides of a Square. Ah. That right. was changed to The Moon is a Balloon. I wonder why yeah. I did that. What's so good about the book, Manjit? It's his autobiography. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing else. It's just very, very funny, but uh, it was... Published in 1971, and not many people have heard of it today. It's very no. funny. No. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to read it because I'm a fan of his work. And even yeah. the, the latter era, you know, where I guess he was verging in that Oliver Reed territory where some of the films, it seemed like he was, you know, probably under the influence of a bit of booze, but he always turned in a good performance. He was in Rough Cut, one of the last films. It might have been his last movie, Rough Cut, that he did with Burt Reynolds in the early 80s from memory. Thank you, Manjit. Oh, yeah, yes. what, what else do you want to say? Uh, the, he would pick up very funny-sounding titles to his books. The other bestseller of his is Bring On The Empty Horses. <laughs> Bring On The Empty horse Houses or Horses. That, that was picked up from a director who couldn't speak English too well. So when he wanted to say, Bring On The Horses Without The Riders... He said, bring on the empty horses. I like it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's Thank awesome. Thank you, Manjit. It is a highly regarded book, that David Niven uh, autobiography. Yeah, I'm going to have to track it down. I'll start hunting through the, uh, the second-hand stores because God knows what you'll pay on eBay for something like that. Yeah, look, it's probably still in, pub- in print, I would have thought, because it's really popular. It does come up from mm. time to time. A couple of texts here that I'll read. If you want to take part and give us a ring, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. If you've got a favourite moon movie you'd like to talk about, uh, Jeff says, Jeff in Safety Bay, The Moon and Sixpence. I'm not sure about that one. I haven't seen that. I haven't even heard of that one, actually, to be honest. Auntie Mouse says, uh, what about Mr Squiggle? Didn't he live on the moon? Yes, he did. <laughs> he Auntie did. Mouse, thank you. Uh, Apollo 13, this was uh, Martin George, our uh, principal astronomer at the Olveston University and our regular astronomer on this program. I asked him what his favourite uh, moon movie was, and he, without question, said Apollo 13, and Dennis in Hovels Creek has said that movie as well. Tom Hanks, great movie. And Gary Sinise too, yeah, terrific film, very sort of tense, and and it was a perfect blend of having, you know, the action on the ground, the action in space, but it was sort of like completely suspenseful and dramatic at the same time, unlike First Man. Did you ever see First Man that came out in 2018? No. 
It's um, Damien Chazelle, who was the director who did La La Land, and I think he might have done... Oh, he did Whiplash, and so he was on a bit of a, you know, good run of films, and they gave him a lot of money to make a movie, so he made First Man with Universal, and it's a Neil Armstrong biopic, but it really... It's kind of weighted down by the drama than the space exploration side. It really focuses on his personal life as such. So I think everyone went in expecting it was going to be a spectacular space sort of movie and then realised they were watching just a very human drama about the breakdown of his marriage. Uh, and, yeah, so I went and saw it in IMAX and I don't know if I needed to see a kitchen sink drama in IMAX. I wanted to, I wanted to see the space spectacle. Uh, but, you know, it looks incredible. But, yeah, it was just weighted down with too much uh, human drama, unfortunately. Trev's got a couple of titles for us. Good morning, Trev. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I've actually got two rather separate uh, lines of thought to talk about. But first up, the uh, movies that don't have moon in their title, but uh, you could justify a case for, make, for calling them moon movies. Okay, what are those? And one is a 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, definitely, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other is the um, third out, I forget which actual number it's supposed to be, in the Star Wars series, The Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is set on the moon of the Ewoks, yeah, which in the, in the background of the sky, and if you remember in the world, the Ewoks yes, are always this Endor, gigantic Endor, yeah. Jupiter-like primary planet. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Endor, I think, might have been. Was that the yeah. name of it, Endor? I think so, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Were, you were a bit of a so, space, space nut, Trev, because you, you bought in oh, 2001, thought to be one of the greatest movies of all time, and you've back-ended it with a bit of the Return to the Jedi. Yeah, um, well, yes, I'm, I can be pretty spacey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, that, oh, that is a very deadly. <laughs> no, we do what you mean. We do what you mean. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, it's a great anyway, genre. Uh, um, oh, no, no, it's, it's, not a, it's not an obsessive genre. It's just a, yeah. in my you know, rather various movie-watching career, I, I just thought of those. I mean, the other thing I want... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say 2001. You know, like I yeah. said, thought to be one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, do you want to say something else? Yes, um, uh, in a rather different direction. The earliest moon movie, or at least one of the, mm. the classical earliest moon movie, uh, towards the end of the 19th century, uh, Frenchman Georges Méliès mm. from the Lumière studio in Lyon, France, yeah. made the. Uh, made of the film from Jules Verne uh, from the Earth to the Moon. As you, you, you often see it come up in um, historical docos. Yeah, look, it's actually available. Uh, I, I saw it today, Trevor. It's actually available on the internet now, yeah. so if you do a Google search, you'll be yeah. able to find that, and it's amazing, as you say. It was With the moon getting hit in the eye yeah, by the rocket. Right. Yeah. Yeah, spe- and, it's spectacular. Uh, uh, um, as a little incidental asterisk to that, I'll point to a movie by Martin Scorsese uh, oh, about yes. the young fellow in the Paris railway station who meets the yes. old gentleman at the kiosk, who is actually turns out to be George Melies. Yes, you go. After the movie industry basically didn't want him and ah. chucked him over. But, there you go. Yeah. 
It's a terrific film, and it's it's probably one of the more underrated in Martin Scorsese's filmography as well. But yeah, beautiful story. Like uh, not only you know a telling story of a forgotten artist, but at the same time you know a beautiful coming of age story. Look, uh, thank you, Trev. Some great suggestions there. I, you mentioned two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. I mean, one of the things about that movie was the uh, the music. Oh, yes, amazing. absolutely, the score, mm. absolutely. Like, and I think, I feel like for the, you know, 40 or more years, you know, after the film was released, probably right to present day, to be honest, I, you would always hear the music used for, you know, various commercials and parodies. And I think there was like a dishwashing liquid ad that used to play throughout the <laughs> late 80s, early 90s, with a dish being thrown up similar to the bone being thrown oh, yeah. in the sky. <laughs> Anything to do with the, with space or the moon on TV, yeah, yeah. a bit of 2001, that theme. Oh, well, the, even the, the Barbie movie that's just come out. Oh, uh, no, they do it in do, <laughs> They do, they do, and it's hilarious because it's, like, really clever how they go about doing it, and you're like, wow, like... This could potentially introduce 2001 A Space Odyssey to a whole new legion of people that may not have seen it. You've got to think that where the world would be now if those songs hadn't been used, would we be as familiar with that classic song? Uh, no, well, that, that's the thing. Like, how, how's this only revisited Cool Hand Luke recently? And it was the first time I'd seen that movie in maybe 20 or more years, and I didn't realise... That the was yeah. it the channel the channel news theme it's from the score of Cool Hand Luke and oh, I it's, it's I scary just, isn't it when you, it I, blew I, my mind I saw yeah. it too you're watching this movie innocently and you're going hang on that that music's very familiar very familiar <laughs> yes but look why I was bringing up uh, also Sprack and Zarathustra is which is the name of that particular music in 2001. Mm. By Strauss I don't know if you ever heard of a band called South American band called Diodato. No, no. They did a funk version. Oh, oh they're wow. Brazilian. Yeah, so the South American, the Brazilian band, Diodato is their name, and it's a, it's a tremendous version of this song. I've got to play it because I think you'll be interested in hearing this, Jared. Yeah, I'm really keen. Uh, this, so this is the jazz funk version of <laughs> Also Sprack Zarathustra, um, as I'm sure you'll recognise it as the music from 2001. Have a listen to this. In 73, that one came out, and it won a Grammy in 1974 for the best pop instrumental performance, and you can see why. That is a Brazilian artist, Diodato, and the his version also Sprack Zarathustra, which was, of course, the music from 2001. What do you think of that, Jared? Incredible. I, I have never have guessed that you could turn that into, like, a funk jazz fusion song, but it was phenomenal. It wasn't. The it? keys, the electric keys on it were just so terrific. It's just, it is fantastic, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, like you said, it just translates so well, that piece of music, to whatever that time signature was that they're playing that funky jazz in. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, actually, someone says, uh, if, Stu, if Stanley Kubrick ever did a remake of 2001, uh, that should be the theme. It's brilliant, says Ace. 
Uh, but I've also got this one here that there was uh, in the 2010 Space Odyssey. Oh, the year we make contact, yeah, mm. with Roy Schreider. Yeah, came out. Really underrated. It's, I mean, you're never going to equal, you know, a masterpiece, but it was really good and I think it was unfairly maligned at the time because everyone was comparing it. But, you know, it was based on the Arthur C. Clarke novel. Uh, but, yeah, I, it's actually quite a good film and it deserves new eyes on it just to, to reassess it. I think as a standalone film, it's quite good. I've got here, Rosa says, The Moon and Sixpence was a Somerset Mourn book. Thank you, Rosa, for that. Athos uh, wanted to mention Total Recall. Yeah, oh, that's Mars. Oh, Mars, okay, forget it. Yes, Athos, that's no, Mars. No, get back on the, pla- on the, uh, the right planet there. <laughs> <laughs> if the moon could be considered a planet, I suppose it is. Uh, and someone else suggested they recall hearing of a film, The Effect of Gamma Rays on a Man in the Moon, Marigolds. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of people searching that one on the internet yeah. after this. Mick's just told me that that was Paul Newman's directing uh, debut. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. What was now he thinking? I'm even more interested. <laughs> we were just talking Paul Newman with Cool Hand Luke. Uh, someone said, what about Moon with Sam Rockwell and Dorsey from Threadbow? Oh, that's that's from the one from we Threadbow. spoke about yeah. earlier, yeah. That was the, the David Bowie's son one. That's wasn't it? the yeah. one. Yeah. No, meant to be really good. Uh, I've got uh, a couple here that I would like to mention. Uh, one is an Australian movie that we, sh- we haven't mentioned any Australian movies oh, just about can yet. I, can I hazard a guess as to what it is? Oh, you probably guess, can't you? What the is Dish? It? No, the it's dish. not The Dish. No, oh, not The Dish. It's not my own okay. one. But somebody did oh. suggest The Dish earlier. Which, of course, big reference to the moon there. Absolutely. Classic. They might have got the facts a little bit around the wrong way, but... <laughs> hey, you've got to make it an interesting story. Wasn't, make it compelling for audiences to watch. Wasn't there someone who said it was Honeysuckle Creek was actually the... Uh, the Location. It wasn't yeah. Parks. No. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, just for convenience. A bit of artistic yeah. licence, though, and obviously a much better shot, the Parks. Yeah, right. I imagine it looks more cinematic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good on them. That was a good movie. No, the Australian movie I want to talk about was One Night the Moon, the movie with Paul Kelly. Oh, wow. It. Yeah, that's taking me back. Yeah, mm. of course. Uh, Paul Kelly's acting debut. Yeah. Uh, did he do any more acting after that? I'm not sure he did. Outside of music videos, no. I, no. Don't, I, don't, I don't think he did, no. It's a very compelling movie, though, and he didn't act too bad in it, I thought. No, he's probably one of the few artists that actually made... I mean, Michael Hutchins did a very good job and he didn't do too many roles. I think Dogs in Space, and I can't recall if he appeared in anything else. Hmm. All right. No worries. Steve really enjoyed that music. said, never heard that before. Thank you. Um, I've got here, what happened to the stupid parachuter? Stupid, he missed the moon. Ha-ha. He was so stupid, he missed the moon. Thank you, Athos. ta uh, check out uh, Norman Cook, aka Fatboy Slim, and his video clip for right here, right now. Totally inspired by the evolution sequence in two thousand and one, oh, yes. a Space Odyssey. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a visual treat that music video. I mean, most Fatboy Slim music videos are they're a piece of art unto themselves. I mean, the Christopher Walken one where he's dancing all around the room. Weapon of choice. Phenomenal. How Weapon of choice. That? Yes. That's a ripper, that Incredible one. video. Uh, g'day, Joy. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. And you? I got all right. I found found the first moon one that inspired all the other ones. Yeah, it's called that? a it's called a trip to the moon. It's a French one, nineteen o two, and um, it's this guy. It's only fourteen minutes long. Yeah, we, this is what we mentioned just before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, where yeah. they have the hot pants, the female marines in hot pants. 
Oh, maybe not. Uh, the team of astronomers set that led by, led by a professor arrive on the moon after being fired in a cannon with the help of female marines in hot pants and then they're <laughs> captured by moon men and explorers yes. managed to escape before splashing down the earth in the seabed and heroes um, welcome but it's um, famous because it's got all stop motion yeah. and, and smoke and whatnot. So, um, and they've finally found bits and pieces of it and recreated it. So. This is the one we were talking about yeah, before, I yeah. think, wasn't it? And there's some very, yeah, really early animation in it and it's almost yeah. a bit stiff, but you can imagine at the time it would have been, wow, look at that, that's, that's pretty high-tech. Jaw-dropping, yeah, at the mm. time, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, and like I said, that's available on the internet if anybody wants to search out that very, very early sci-fi movie. Uh, I thought it was 1915, but Joyce seems to think it was a bit earlier than that. Um, come and yeah, check it I out. Yeah, I think it could be. It could be yeah. the early 1900s, yeah. It's funny, there's another one of those early ones, one made in 1919 called The First Men in the Moon. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that one, though. No, you wouldn't have because it's gone missing. Oh, okay, it's one of those. Yeah, it's yeah. a 1919 black and white silent film. Um, based on the H.G. Wells science fiction novel First Men in the Moon, which is the one I mentioned before. This is a much earlier version of it. Um, as of August 2010, the film is not held in the British Film Institute National Archives oh, and is listed on the British Film Institute's 75 Most Wanted List of Lost Films. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always the Brits. Like, I mean, you know, the Americans seem to hang on to their materials for their, you know, movies and TV shows. But it's always horror stories you hear from from the United Kingdom, whether it's episodes of TV shows that were, you know, only had like a video master and then they were dubbed over for some, you know, other purpose or whether the Wicker Man, you know, whether they, they, they buried the original materials underneath, <laughs> you know, a bridge that was being built or something. So, yeah, Didn't it's they, always they... tragic to hear. They found the prints for Waking Fright in a dumpster in New York, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it's insane to think, yeah. And then they did a full restoration from that. But for, for a long time it was considered lost. Well, I'm interested yeah, crazy. in the 75 most wanted list of lost films, Jared. Imagine what's on there. Oh, I know, yeah, God. And it's the thing. These things can be kicking around anywhere, whether it's a, a dumpster or someone's, mm. you know, shed. I heard a story... I think it was probably a year or more ago that there was a performance, uh, I think it was the Monkees on uh, Bandstand or something, oh, no, Top of the Pops, and they found the performance, uh, a copy of it in someone's, uh, I think it was somewhere in like maybe Mornington or Geelong or something, oh, really? and it was in someone's shed, and they, they had a copy because, you know, they had all these masters for who knows what reason. So, yeah, these things turn up every now and again, so not necessarily forever lost. No, and true, I, there was, I was searching before a couple of weeks ago for Louis Armstrong. We were looking at big band visits to Australia, and Louis yeah. Armstrong came to Australia, and he, there's all this, he did all his TV performances. Right. I did a bit of a search, and sure enough, there in the National Film and Sound Archives, when I looked it up on, on uh, the internet, it says this material is not available. No one's kept it, but they have. They've restored it in the oh, National Film wow. and Sound Archives. So if you have a look... That's this, incredible. It is incredible. There's Louis Armstrong with his band playing all these classic songs live on Australian TV. Really good sound, great performances. It's mind-blowing, really, to think... <laughs> 
the, the, such high quality musicianship and television was was being broadcast here in Australia. And then we we were right to save it, thankfully, and the NFSA has done their job to to keep it. Indeed. So uh, yeah. Has anyone called up about Flying High 2 yet? No, they haven't. Didn't know that went to the moon. Yes, yeah. You remember Flying High, obviously, you know, yeah. the nervous pilot and whatnot. They basically remade the film, but they made the film on a commercial flight to space and they get the same pilot who, who you know, saved the day by the end of the first film to, to man this flight to space. The autopilot? No, yeah, that's right. Because it's got the inflatable, <laughs> inflatable pilot. Um, but yeah, Robert Hayes was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah Robert right. Hayes yeah. played Ted Stryker in it. But yeah, Flying High Two, or as it's also known, Aeroplane Two. Mm. Okay, good morning, Troy. Morning, Pav. Uh, morning, everybody. Um, yeah, I've only been listening in on the conversation for about fifteen minutes. So somebody might have already mentioned these couple of movies, but. Um, one that uh, really stands out for me is Space Cowboys with Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the very final scene is um, Tommy Lee Jones' character in his spacesuit, laying back on the moon, leaning up against a rock, watching the Earth as he dies. Um, because uh, he, he always wanted to go to the moon when he was an astronaut and never got the chance. And, uh, and he finally gets his chance by saving the world and flying the nuclear weapons to the moon and, uh, and crash landed on the moon. And that's where, he, uh, that's where he ends his life. So that's a pretty, pretty moving sort of a scene right at the end of the film. And they play the um, Frank Sinatra song, Fly Me to the Moon, <laughs> uh, which I think is pretty, pretty uh, yeah, poignant. And then the other one I, I find uh, I enjoyed was In Armageddon, the movie where Bruce Willis goes up to drill the astronauts. They um, they actually use the moon's gravity to slingshot the, the space shuttles around the moon, and also use the moon's gravity to hopefully remove some of the debris from the back of the asteroid as it passes by the moon. So they're two that uh, that sort of stand out for me. Mm. Two good ones too, Troy. And both, you know, around the same era too. It was that that late nineties, early two thousands era. We had a cycle of space films around that time. Hmm. And you're right, a really poignant scene there, um, you know, lying back on the moon, looking at the Earth. I, I remember that scene. It sort of sticks in your head, doesn't it, there, uh, like, Yeah, it's, it's strange to think that film's, you know, what, like just over 20 years old, but we don't make films like that anymore where we have, like, a cast of such incredible, you know, actors like Clint Eastwood and James Garner and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, sort of older actors that are playing the leads and spending millions of dollars to make these movies. They just they don't make those type of films anymore. Hey, thanks, Troy. No worries. Have, have a great morning. You too. Thanks. Troy and Atherton there. Now, a couple that I wanted to mention here, Jared, on the way out, is a 1964 sword and sandal movie called Hercules Against the Moon Men. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, I don't know what... <laughs> what they thought was on the moon, but apparently underneath the surface of the moon there's all these sort of Roman palatial <laughs> columns. Is and this one of the Italian Hercules films? It was. And then they, yeah, excellent, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you're interested in that, I think the entire movie is available on the internet. It's <laughs> one of those ones you'd have to pay people to see. Uh, another one, an early American movie in 1950 called Destination Moon, oh, which was probably one of the ones to actually first seriously try to capture what it would look like. Uh, to be in space and be on the moon. They're a lot more serious about their spaceship design, and they they even tried to do the anti-gravity thing. 
Ah, yeah, right, right. Anyone of a note in that one? No, I don't think no. so. Okay, no, fair enough, fair enough. I, I don't think it made it out of the B section. No, the but on the topic of bees, did you ever see Superman for the quest for peace? No. It was the fourth instalment of the Superman franchise, but it was when Warner sold the rights. I don't know how it ended up in the hands of Canon, but the Canon guys, uh, the brothers that did just schlocky sort of B movies throughout the 80s, but they got the license for Superman. They did Superman 4 and they cut the budget of the film mid-production and uh, Christopher Reeve had signed on to do it. And I think he actually directed it, but they, oh, no, no, it was Sidney J. Fury that directed it. But, um, yeah, Christopher Reeve was just sort of left with this hot mess of a movie. But you have Superman and Nuclear Man uh, duke it out on the moon. So it's, oh. it's a pretty spectacular sequence. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, <laughs> no. My last title here that I've got is 1958, a movie called Missile to the Moon. Okay, and yeah. while on the moon, a whole lot of Earthlings or the astronauts encounter surface-dwelling, slow-moving, bipedal, large rock creatures. Ah, uh, are they the giant spider, like spider-like yes, creatures? A yes, spider-like I, creature as well. I, I've at least seen the poster for this one, if not seen it. <laughs> uh, probably the cheapest monsters you've ever seen. These rock monsters, Jared, worth trawling <laughs> right. through the movie just to have a look at them. Oh, I've got to, I've got to see them. Like <laughs> men in rubber suits. Oh wow, that's I love it. I love it. The other one I was going to mention earlier that's coming out later this year is called Rebel Moon. Uh, and that one's going to Netflix. It might they might do a theatrical. I don't know, but it's Zack Snyder, the guy that did uh, a couple of the DC films, and he's done. I think he did the Watchmen adaptation as well, the yeah. Alan Moore adaptation. But that one's coming out at December, and I think it's like three and a half hours. So even if it does go theatrical, it sounds like a safe bet probably to sit at home and watch it. And that's only part one. He's going to release part two next year, and apparently that's three and a half hours also, and then. He has a director's cut that will combine both of them and run longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I dread the thought. But, yeah, Rebel Moon. So two moon movies that are coming up in the next couple of months before the year's out. Timeless suggestions, mate. Thank you very much for that. Absolute uh, pleasure. Good luck with the programming of the Monster Film Festival. Thanks, Pat. Much appreciated. We'll find out all about it next time we talk to you in about a month's time. Jared, thanks, mate. Take it here. Jared Garner, who is a film critic and he works for Monster Pictures and the Monster Film Festival. 